We're going to be in a couple of different passages, and so I'm going to need your help this morning to have your Bibles open, because they're not going to be up there, so you're going to have to follow along in your Bible, Uh, including finding some obscure passages like Nehemiah, that might take you a little while, use the contents page at the beginning, Um, and then Jude, which is a very small book right at the very end, and so be looking for that. So we're going to talk about the joy of the Lord that is with us. So in Omaha, Nebraska, there was a Presbyterian conference, and in that conference they handed everyone a helium balloon when they walked into the worship service. And they said, in the middle of the worship service, when you feel the Holy Spirit touching you and you experience the joy of the Lord, let your balloon go. Let it float up to the top so that we know that you are celebrating the joy of the Lord. Because Presbyterians, they don't say amen and praise the Lord as much as Nazarenes do. And so, um, so that was their way of expressing the joy that they had in Christ. At the end of the service, one-third of the people still had their balloons. Went through an entire worship service and said they never experienced the joy of the Lord. I've been there. I've been caught up in my problems thinking about my dilemmas or worrying about what was going to be served for lunch or distracted by the to-do list for the next week. And, and I didn't pay attention to the Lord and I didn't experience the joy of the Lord even though I was in His presence. But today we want to talk about the fact that God gives His joy to be with us and to be in us forever. I remember praying for a, a wonderful lady that I know she'd accepted the Lord as her Savior many years before, and she testified to it. Uh, I knew her uh, for about 10 years. I served uh, as her pastor or a youth pastor at the church there, and, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, I believe that the joy of the Lord is in her because you're in her. But if you could tell her face, that would just be really awesome because nobody else has been able to see that it's in her because it's, it's, not, it's not showing anywhere. Um, and so we want to talk about the joy of the Lord that, that not only can be in us, but that God wants to show expressively on our face and in our lives. Um, and, and, and the truth is, is oftentimes we express many other things upon our face. Um, it was said that... Uh, I think it was Charles Finney, uh, was talking to some of the students that he was training, and he said, when you talk about the Lord, when you talk about heaven, when you talk about paradise and salvation, all those things, he said, when you talk about heaven, he said, make sure that you're expressing on your face, you know, the joy of the Lord with a smile and an exuberance and and in the twinkle of your eye that you're just talking about heaven, and it's a beautiful thing. He said, now when you talk about hell, your normal face will do just fine. Wow, man, that's harsh. But isn't it true? Isn't it true that many times our normal face can convey all kinds of worry and anxiety and stress because of the things we're looking at and the things that we're choosing to think about that are not in line with that passage? In Philippians it says, Whatever is good and excellent and lovely and praiseworthy, think on these things. And when you think on those things, don't they start to reflect outwardly? Just like when you think on the things of, it's not going right today. Man, I wish it was turned around. That that shows on your face as well. 
Well, let's look in Nehemiah. Uh, actually, let's start in Zephaniah and then Nehemiah. So two passages, Old Testament, and then the rest will be mostly in the New Testament. So Zephaniah chapter 3, it's a beautiful scripture. I'd love to uh, be able to memorize this one if we could. Um, <clears throat> I hear that uh, most of you have decided that you're never going to be able to find Zephaniah because <clears throat> no pages are turning. So I'll just share it with you. Uh, Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17 One of my favorite Bible verses in the whole Bible. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love, and he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. That's too good to only read it once. We're going to read it again. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love, and he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Dear Lord, we pray that you would help us to know that you are joyful, that you are joy-filled, that your joy overflows. Help us to know, Lord, that you rejoice in us and you exult over us. Help us to know, Lord, that we can have this same joy of the Lord in our own hearts as a strength for us, Lord, as a hope, as an anchor, and that, Lord, it can change what it looks like on our face. It could change our attitude and our actions and our reactions. Lord, I pray that you would help us, enable us, Lord, to lay down the things that rob us of joy and to pick up, O oh Lord, your joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, we do an anointing service each month, and uh, one of the scriptures in the Bible that talks about anointing talks about Jesus being anointed with the oil of joy and gladness. That, that everything that's kind of dripping off of Jesus is joy and gladness. There have been many, many, many people who have said, you know what, I love Jesus. Not so sure about Christianity. Not even sure about the church, but Jesus. Because they understand that the heart of Jesus is love and joy. And in Zephaniah chapter 3 here, we get this understanding that God is a God of joy, just like he's a God of peace, and he's a God of hope, he's a God of joy. I don't think that we picture, some people have, but I don't think we picture God in heaven always just sad and weary and kind of befuddled and beside himself at the state of humanity. We know that he's full of compassion, and we know that he looks upon us um, with this concern for our well-being, and yet we have very clear examples of God singing over us and saying, you are the apple of my eye, and I rejoice over you. God's a happy God. We want to be with him because he is someone that is pleasant to be around and we can rejoice in his presence because he smiles and he laughs and I just, I wish that we had more examples in the New Testament Gospels of the times that Jesus laughed and had a good time. We know he went to parties. We know he went to Peter's house and we know he went to the tax collectors and Mary and Martha's house. So he obviously enjoyed a meal and fellowship. And around mealtime and fellowship, we laugh. And we cut up. And I know Jesus is that joy-filled person because he is one with the Father, and the Father is a God of joy. Now, 
Nehemiah chapter 8, as Nehemiah is rallying the Israelites and talking to them about all of these things that have come against them. Remember, the walls of Jerusalem were destroyed. They had people in exile, so their families are split up between Babylon and, and Persia and, um, and Jerusalem. And he's rallying the troops, and he's saying, The joy of the Lord is your strength. What does that mean? The joy of the Lord is my strength. We've often said that in church to the point that I don't know that we've broken it down to understand what it means. All right. So, so the joy of the Lord is my strength is an understanding of saying, you know what, because God in himself is joy-filled, because God in himself is supreme ruler, because God has already made a way for me to be saved and redeemed and kept by his blood and by his power and by his faithfulness, I can rejoice in that knowing that he's not going to leave me, he's not going to forsake me, he's not going to change his tune, he's not going to change who he is, and that gives me strength. I remember I was on a missions trip, and on that particular missions trip, um, the teens got themselves into a lot of trouble. <clears throat> a lot of trouble. To the point that they, uh, they came back and they were grounded, most of them, for months. I, I didn't. I was reading my Bible a lot on that trip. <clears throat> and I remember one of the teens came up to me and she was like, why do you read your Bible so much? I wasn't trying to be, you know, holier than thou. I wasn't trying to be pious and all that kind of stuff. And I, but I just told her, I said, the reason I read my Bible so much is because when it feels like I'm all alone and I open the Bible, I know I'm not alone. And God meets me right there. I remember the conversation as clear as day. I was 16 years old, and I told her that. I, I feel like when everybody else is off making trouble or mischief or doing their thing, I, I can open my Bible, I can pray, and I can meet God there. That's what it means to have the joy of the Lord as our strength, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If I call on him, he'll answer. He sees me in my plight. He sees me in my struggles. And he says, I will deliver you. And not only that, you're the apple of my eye, you're my beloved, I rejoice over you with singing and with gladness. That gives me strength. I hope it gives you strength as well. Because think about the people that God's saying that to. <laughs> that he says, I rejoice over you. Well, it's in Zephaniah, we just, we just read that. That means it's in one of the minor prophets. The minor prophets and the major prophets, their job was to go to the people and say, you messed up. You better get right with God or judgment's coming. So the people that, that this message is spoken to are people that had taken up idols, who had sacrificed their own children, who had done dealings with people of wickedness, who were cheating their neighbor, and God was reprimanding them. And he was saying, you've got to cut it out and stop acting this way. And yet he still says, I rejoice over you. And so like the song said that we sang just a few minutes ago, a Pharisee, a hypocrite like me, that he loves. So the joy of the Lord can be our strength. Now another thing that I want you to understand about the joy of the Lord for us is that Jesus came and, and did his ministry on earth and he, and he preached the gospel and he prayed for us and he died for us and he rose again so that we could participate in his joy. Alright, so... John 17, 13. Let's flip over to the New Testament. You can find that one. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. John 17 and verse 13. 
All right, this is what it says to us in Jesus' prayer, his high priestly prayer, praying for you and for me. Jesus said to the Father, Now I come to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in them. So Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He preached the good news of the gospel. He died a death of, of an innocent man, never done nothing wrong. He resurrected, and he said, the reason that I'm saying these words, praying these words, preaching these words, is so they can have my joy in them, and it can be filled to the full in them, right? Uh, it, it's it's kind of like what we want for our kids, right? We want our kids to be happy. We want them to have a good day. We want them to have a good life. We love to see our kids laughing. If we can make a memory with our kids where they're laughing and, and they, they say, you remember that day when we were all dancing around like crazy people in the living room listening to that music? Yeah, yeah, because we love to see happiness on their face. God wants happiness, but he wants it even deeper. He wants it to be an eternal happiness, and that would be a way of defining joy is eternal happiness, right? Because if it's temporal happiness, it's based on circumstance. It's based on things in this world. But eternal happiness is based on, well, eternal things, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And Jesus wants you to have that joy inside of you. C.S. Lewis said that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He said, we're half-hearted creatures. We fool around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what it's like to go to the beach and have a vacation at the beach. He said, we're far too easily pleased. It's not that happiness is, is the problem. It's that why would we want temporal happiness when we can have eternal joy? Why do we want to play in the mud pile when we could have the beach? That's what C.S. Lewis said, but I think he's onto something there because Jesus said he wanted us to have joy that was filled and fulfilled in us. All right, so James chapter 1, flip back towards James. And um, James tells us a little bit about joy that we don't quite get, we don't quite understand, and we're like, um, I think you might be confused. This is what he says. James 1, 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So was he a sadist? Was he a masochist? Was he confused? Was he delusional? He said, when you have problems in your life, rejoice. Okay, so James, what are, you, what are you talking about here? He's talking about the exact same thing that I just mentioned. It's not about temporal happiness. It's about eternal happiness. Because here's the thing. If you're facing troubles and trials of many kinds, God is going to use those to bring about an eternal joy and eternal glory that far outweighs the troubles. I remember telling myself many times when I was running to train for a marathon, and we've picked it back up again. I got about 10 miles in this week. And you get to that place where you're like, oh, I can't pick my foot up again. My knee hurts. My side hurts. But I kept telling myself, it's worth it. Because when I push through this and when I build up my stamina and I get healthier, on the other side, I'm going to feel better. I'm going to be more fit. I'm going to have endurance I never had before. I'll have the euphoria of saying, I finished it. And that's just a little race that I run here on earth. 
God's saying to us, when you have problems, when you have trials, when you have struggles in this life, rejoice because what's going to happen through the outcome of those things is you're going to find where the source of eternal happiness is, right? So, man, I can't believe that this has gone this way this week. But you know what? (laughs) God's a whole lot bigger than this week. Rejoice in the Lord. That's going to be my strength. Oh, I can't believe that this circumstance has come upon me. It's been like three months of this misery. I've been sick, or I've been stressed, or I've been worried, or I've been having that difficulty of that conflict with that person. Oh, but that's going to pass away. It's not going to be here later because that's temporary. This too shall pass, right? And so we understand that we can count it all joy because we're looking at the eternal happiness picture and not the temporary. Now here's a a word that I read at the beginning from Zephaniah that I want to read to you from Psalm. So if you'll turn back in Psalms, it's the middle of the Bible, Psalm chapter 5, and I want to read this to you so you can understand a little bit more about the joy of the Lord. Psalm 5, verse 11 and 12 says, Let all who take refuge in you, God, be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, and may you shelter them. Let those who love your name exult in you. For it is you who bless the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as a shield. So about five or six years ago, I'm reading through the Bible, and I had changed versions of the Bible, and all of a sudden this word showed up that I'd never read in my life. And I've told you about it in another sermon here about six months ago, but it's exult, E-X-L-U-L-T. We all talk about exalt, right? And lift up and magnify. That's not what exult is. Exult is very different. One letter changes everything. I'm like, what is this word? How come I've never read it before? Because oftentimes people put joy or rejoicing in place of exult, but that doesn't mean exactly the same thing. It's a little bit different. If you look up the word exult in the Bible dictionary to understand what it means, it means to celebrate as in the victory. Most of the time when we're commanded to exult, celebrate as if you have the victory, it's before you've crossed the finish line. It's before you've gotten what was promised. It's before the bad situation has turned good. The joy of the Lord being our strength, participating in Jesus' eternal joy instead of a temporary joy, means that we have to exult. That means we celebrate as if the victory is already ours, even though we haven't crossed the finish line yet. Right? And so, Austin is like a week from graduating or less, or gets the paper, or you're done. But over the last couple of months, he could rejoice as if he'd already crossed the finish line because he was just checking the last things off. He's just coasting to the finish line, okay? You can exult when you see that it's coming to pass, and we know it's coming to pass because God is able to bring it to pass. So we say, God, I rejoice in you, I exult, I celebrate as in the victory because I know that you're the one that keeps me, you're the one that blesses me, you're the one that surrounds me with favor as a shield. Well, I want to give to you two places in the New Testament that talk about rejoicing in the Christmas story, because it is Christmas. So let's flip over to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10, and this is when the wise men are coming to visit. And so Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10 says this, 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love that exceedingly. It wasn't a little bit. It was a lot. It's a lot of rejoicing. It was, yes, we saw where the king is coming. We saw where we can find him. We found the way. Yes. And so we know that God wants to give us exceeding joy, not just kind of a little bit of joy, not just a temporary thing that's fleeting, but exceeding joy. And then when we go over to Luke chapter 2, in Luke chapter 2, then we get the shepherds. And so the the angels appear to the shepherds, and they tell them that they're going to find Jesus, and he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, but this is what they say. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I could imagine that the shepherds went home after seeing Jesus and they were super excited for like a day or two or two weeks or three. But at some point between the time they saw Jesus and 30 years later when he starts doing his public ministry, I can imagine they were like, that night was really cool, but what in the world was that all about? We saw that baby. He's a king. Hadn't seen him since. But I think they had to hold on to the good news of great joy as an eternal picture, as a bigger picture than just today, just how I feel today or just what I see today. Because if you look at the eternal picture, we can can rejoice with exceeding great joy. There's good news of great joy that God is with us and for us and in us. So I want to give you a five-part understanding of joy in conclusion here this morning. Joy is the heart of God. That's who he is. God is love. God is peace. God is joy. But joy also, number two, is a choice. It's a choice to look at the right things, to rejoice in God. Uh, It's a choice to exult, to celebrate as if the victory is already yours. Uh, Thirdly, joy is looking to our eternal over our temporal. Fourth, joy is surrendering to God. God, I give it all to you because it's all yours anyway, and you can turn my ashes into beauty. And then lastly, joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So when we get the Holy Spirit inside of us, then we have eternal joy in me. Many times I pray this prayer, Lord, I know that all of your patience is in me because you're in me. So help me to tap into that patience, Lord, because I know it's there. It's not far off. Lord, I know your joy is in me because your Holy Spirit's in me and you're full of joy. So help me to tap into that joy instead of clinging to the things that don't really matter. Oliver Wendell Holmes was a member of the U.S. Supreme Court for 30 years. He actually got a uh, title at one point because of his wit and his work called The Greatest Justice since John Marshall, yet another one. But at one point in his life, he said, you know, I might have chosen instead of going into law, but to actually be a pastor into the ministry, he was a Christian, he said, except for this one thing. He said, I met a whole lot of Christians, pastors, that looked like undertakers. The joy of the Lord should be on our faces and in our lives and we should be smiling and we should be rejoicing and we should be reminding people that God is good and He's on the throne and things will work out and God will redeem and He will restore and He will deliver and He will set free. But if we look like undertakers, 
if our face looks more like hell than like heaven, like Finney said. I love this quote from a third century man. Third century, we're talking 1800 years ago. He was looking forward to his own death because he knew he was going to die soon and he wrote these words in a letter to a friend. He said, it's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and a holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure that we have in our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they don't care. They are masters of their own souls. They have overcome the world. These people are Christians, and I am one of them. Right? Oh, that we could be that filled with joy. We can be if we look to the one who is joy-filled. Matter of fact, Jesus told a parable, and he said at the end of that parable, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness or joy. We can enter into his joy if we look at the things that he looks at and believe the things that he believes and receive the heart of God. Our last Bible verse for today is in Jude. I told you about it right at the very end. I hope you found it next to Revelation. It's such a short one that some books of the Bible or some versions of the Bible don't even give you a chapter on it. Just verse numbers. Verse 24 through 25. Now to him who is able to keep you and me from stumbling and to make us stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ the Lord be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That's good news, right? Good news of exceedingly, abundantly, great joy that will be for all the people. So, <clears throat> what do you do this week when you don't feel that joy? Look to the eternal one of joy. Look to the eternal perspective and choose to say, I rejoice in you, Lord, over the temporary, even if the temporary is my own feelings. I choose you over that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your joy. Thank you for rejoicing over us, Lord, when we were just wretches and fools and sinners. Lord, we just made a mess of our life, and yet you still have said you love us. You still have said you sing over us and rejoice over us. I pray, O oh God, that for every person here, we would receive your joy because we can ask for forgiveness of sins, and when our sins are forgiven, how great is our joy. And we can ask, Lord, that you handle our problems. And when we know our problems are in the hands of a perfect and capable and loving God, we can rejoice in that. And Lord, I just thank you so much that when we walk day by day with our eyes on you, we can enter into your joy. I pray, Lord, that every single person here would take time to pray and receive joy from the Father. Lord, send us from this place, I pray. May our lives, our faces, our speech, our attitudes reflect the joy of the Lord. We love you, God, and we give you our praise. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.